Welcome back to the conclusion of Pastor Tim's message, Singing When You Feel Like Sighing, from Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Adrian Rogers said, We may not know that God is enough until God is all you have. Sadly, the only way to learn that lesson is through loss. Yet God provides himself to be faithful and to be all that we need. Habakkuk learned that lesson, and you can too. Here's Pastor Tim. They were judged for their monetary corruption, and we will be too. Number two, they're being judged for their moral corruption. Their moral corruption. The third and the fourth woes speak to this issue, both theirs and ours. The third one is in verse 12. He says, Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. It's a city that we live in. We're living in an increasingly violent city. Alex's news station refers to us as Columbus. So we've become, isn't it? And I know in Atlanta, that's the pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> but we have earned it. Last weekend, just last weekend, the three days of last weekend, from March the 6th to March the 8th, ten people were injured by eight different shootings right here in our city. And it's not just happening in South Columbus. Last week, when we got through eating our Sunday afternoon lunch and headed home, we got on 185, headed north, got to airport throughway, and got to a standstill. It took us 30 minutes to get home because somebody with road rage had decided to shoot and then flee to that particular area. We live in a violent, violent city. This last week, I got to meet our new interim chief of police. And I liked him. I enjoyed meeting him. I, I hope that he is incredibly successful. But he's not going to solve our problem. Revival and spiritual awakening is what we need to turn our city around. Until hearts get right, the violence is going to remain. And it's just going to. Should we really be surprised, though? Should we be surprised at how violent a society that we live in? Our children are taught the minimal value of life. They're not, they're not taught in school that they are a unique creation of God, created in the image of God, and that the person that's sitting in the desk right next to them has on them the image of God. So there's no value in life. They were told that they came from some primordial ooze. Not that they have a creator with a design in mind. And so we don't mind killing our babies, do we? The number of babies through abort that have died through abortion is astronomical. And we, and we think that we came to this, to this big moral path and we won. Roe versus Wade was finally overturned. Has that stopped? No. No, it hasn't stopped. 
Now, this, this last week, I heard that there, that there is an appeal to the FDA for one of these day-after drugs to be um, not prescript, to be over-the-counter. We're always going to look for a way to get around what God says. It's the nature of who we are. As we continue to elect leaders, we, we have people that run for the highest offices in our nation, in our state, and even in our city who run on a platform that say, if you elect me, I promise you that I'll make it easier for us to kill babies. And we elect them. As if it doesn't mean anything. All right, let me get off that. Fourth woe. The fourth one, the second part of their moral corruption, is found in verses 15 and 16. The Bible says, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink. Be exposed as the uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you, and utter shame will be on your glory. The liquor industry in America ought to be called a cartel because they peddle, they promote, they push the word in your, in your passages. They are pressing the most dangerous drug in America onto us. Beverage alcohol. Our highways are screaming, stop! Our homes are screaming, stop! School hallways are screaming, stop! Heaven is screaming, stop! But we don't stop. We press, as he says, we press this issue into corners that would have never, never put up with that. The church covenant among Southern Baptist churches forever has, has denied our members the use or the sale or the promotion of beverage alcohol. So you know what we did? We took the church covenant out of the hymn book. We don't want to conform to what God says. We don't want to be convictional and be biblical about those issues. We want it to be easy. Our pews show little restraint because our pulpits show little conviction. I'm going to tell you something. We're as morally corrupt as the people of Noah's day. And we know how that turned out. There's a third. There are five woes here. We've looked at four. The fifth remains in its own category. They were being judged for their mystic corruption. I want to say for their spiritual corruption. This isn't truly spiritual. Instead, it is mystical. It's cultish. It is falsely religious. Look beginning in verse number 18. 
Let's pick up the beginning of the sentence in verse number 18. He asks this, What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The molded image. A teacher of lies that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. Woe to him who says to wood, Awake to silent stone, arise, it shall teach us. Cults and fault religions are rampant. We would believe it out of the mouth of Oprah before we would believe it off the page of our Bible. Paul said it this way. He said, we have exchanged the truth of God for the lie and have worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Now maybe you don't know somebody, I don't know anybody, who bows down to a carved image made out of wood or made out of stone. But I bet you know somebody, I know somebody, who puts other people before God. Who puts other things and other pursuits in front of God. Had a middle school student tell me one time, Brother Tim, basketball is my God. Kudos, kudos for admitting that. But really? He was determined that in middle school he would begin, in high school he would shine, in college he would be outstanding, and in the NBA he would make millions. I'm not sure he even got through with high school. His priorities were idolatrous. And that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Idolatry doesn't seem like a big deal to us because we think about it in terms of a, a, a literal physical object that I bow down in front of. But when I define idolatry as anything that's put in first place in your life that's not God, idolatry becomes the issue in every issue. For these corrupted reasons, and probably for more, God is bringing judgment on His people. And they are very real problems. So we need to open our eyes, don't we? See the problems that are here in our society. See the problems that are in our families. See the problems that are in our church families. And to address those things in a biblical Biblical way. Let's move to verse number 18. Chapter number 3 and verse 18. Number 2. Not only see the problems, but sing His praises. Sing His praises. There are two key words in the sentence that I want to highlight. So the sentence begins in verse 17. It doesn't come to its conclusion until the end of verse number 18. The two words are the first words that I find in my Bible, as those verses begin, the first one is the word though. Though the fig tree may not blossom. He, he's saying that despite the actual nature of their problem, 
despite the fact that these things in verse number 17 are true. They are reality. He's saying that his circumstances don't have to capture him. The though in verse number 17 speaks of recognition. The word that begins verse 18 is the word yet. Yet, that speaks of response. A response that is independent of your circumstances. It's praising instead of protesting. It's, it's celebrating instead of complaining. It is gladness instead of sadness or even madness. It's singing instead of sighing. So even though the conditions of verse 17 are true, my choice, Habakkuk says, is to rejoice in the Lord. See what he says? Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Do you remember the movie, Facing the Giants? Those people I've used on, the, on your notes, on your screen tonight are two of those players in that movie. One is a high school football coach. The other is his wife. One of the storylines in that movie is is that they have been unable to have children even after four years. She says to him at one point, Grant, I'm still clinging to a hope that one day we'll have children. I imagine them running in this house. I hear them playing in the backyard or running to our bed in a thunderstorm. And I think about reading them stories and teaching them songs. And I just keep thinking, how can I miss someone so much that I have never met? As that conversation continues, he asks her this question. If God never gives you children, will you still love Him? If God doesn't answer your prayers the way that you want them answered, if God has a whole different timetable and a whole different purpose, will you still trust Him? Will you still love Him? One of the, one of the most incredible scenes to me in that movie, and there are a bunch of them, is the scene opens up and she has had a doctor's appointment. The doctor leaves the room and leaves her in there all by herself with her head in her hands. And nothing is being said, it's just sad music that's playing. And she makes her way out to the car and puts her purse up on the car and begins to dig out for her keys. And she's just weeping and shaking her head. When she looks up into heaven and says, I will still love you. I will still love you, Lord. The answer to the question, will you trust God, will you love God when He doesn't answer your prayers, is not the kind of question that deserves a flippant answer. It's not even one of those answers that comes automatically for us as Christians. 
the difference of walking by faith and walking by sight. Christians can still find themselves walking by sight. But Habakkuk says, despite the circumstances, I will rejoice in the Lord. And then he says this, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Joy and happiness are not the same things, are they? I remember my pastor Bill Rickett saying, happiness has to do with happenings. Joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So your circumstances may dictate whether or not you're happy. But your circumstances cannot dictate what God is doing in you. And you can bear His fruit despite whatever is going on on the outside. He says, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Where does your joy come from? I mean, talk about those quick answers that we come up with. We, we quickly just say, well, well my, my joy comes from the Lord. Does it? There are plenty of people who find joy in their family. But what happens to your joy when your family's gone? Some people find joy in their job. What happens to your joy when that job is gone? Some people find joy in their possessions. What happens to your joy when all your stuff is gone? If your joy is truly found in Him, then no matter what the circumstances are, you can sing His songs of praise. So you see the problems. You sing His praises. And number three, you stand in His power. You stand in His power. Now you might look at those two verses and think, there's, there's no way. I mean, that is so unrealistic to Him. There's no way that a person who experiences verse number 17 is really going to sing praises to the Lord according to verse number 18. Well, I mean, if you're depending on your own strength to do that, then you know, I kind of tend to agree with you. But what does Habakkuk say? He says, The Lord God is my strength. Not my willpower. Not my resolve. Maybe you wonder. Maybe you still doubt. You wonder, yeah, but is God's strength really enough? I mean, I'm not, I'm not questioning that God is not omnipotent. What I'm saying, is, what I'm questioning is, is, can God really give me His strength? Do I have the capacity for that? Adrian Rogers said, We may not know that God is enough until God is all you have. That's where Habakkuk is. All their stuff is gone, their security is gone, their home is about to be gone, their young people are about to be gone. 
And yet Habakkuk says, the Lord God is my strength. He is enough. His strength is greater than any situation. His power is greater than any problem that you might have. Remember those unbelievers who who walk on shaky ground all the time, that their soul is not upright, that they are unstable. What he's saying is he can plant your feet. And you can stand in his power. Look at how descriptive that this is. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk. On my high heels. Say that correctly because I don't want to see any you guys walking in high heels. His high heels. That craggy, rocky, nobody wants to live there side of a mountain. That's home to mountain goats. That's home to deer. It's home to other creatures. He says, God's strength can allow you to be stable in the most unstable of places. So Paul says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. God knows the path that you're on. When you cry to Him, He is answering. When you yield to Him, He strengthens you. Trust Him. Trust Him. Whether you can see the end or not. If you will live your life by faith and not by sight, then it really doesn't matter if you can see the end or not. He's the one who makes sure that you get there. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for the book of Habakkuk. Not for, the, not for the fact that he had to go through all of that. But the fact that we go through things just like that. His endurance gives us hope for our endurance. Him surviving and Him thriving gives me hope that you can do the same thing for us. We recognize, God, that your hand of judgment has stayed and like a trip hammer could come down at any moment. We we ask you to wait. There There are people in our families There are people that we work with, people that we go to school with, people that we are acquaintances with who don't know you. You say that you're not slack concerning your promise, but that you're simply not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Father, would you send spiritual awakening here? Would you send revival? by Your very presence in which we see Your glory. May You stir the souls of Your people that they be upright, 
that we live in positional righteousness with you, that we live in practical righteousness among our world. Father, glorify your name in this place and through our usher people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you want to pray more about that, if you want to come to the altar, if I can help you, let's do that. Sean, lead us. Let's stand. This year at Brit Tate, we would like to challenge you to join us in reading through the Bible in a year. This is a great and rewarding way to start your day. If you would like a copy of the reading plan, you can request a copy at church office at BrittDavid.org. Pastor Tim thanks you for joining us, and he would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at BrittDavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.